Namaste. Welcome to Chitti Media. My name is Abhishek Nayapati, and I will be your host today. As many of you might already know, Seattle had passed a new ordinance in which basically caste has been added as a protected class in any non-discriminatory policy. So to give us a little more insight on what this means and why this affects the Hindu American community, I have uh, joined with me today uh, Suhak Shukla. She is the she's the co-founder of the American Hindu Foundation, and uh, she's here to talk to us more about this bill. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Suhaji. Namaste. Namaste, Abhishek. Thanks for having me. Uh, so before we get uh, deep into what the actual ordinance is, I think there's a lot of confusion regarding a lot of these terms regarding caste, jati, varna. So I think maybe before we get into that, can you give us a little bit of uh, what do these terms actually mean? And what, and what is the confusion a lot of times that people misuse the terms? Well, that's that's a, a great question to start off with and one that actually remains to be answered. Uh, there's actually no agreed upon definition of what caste is. Uh, caste is a word that's rooted in the Portuguese word casta, and it became kind of a catch-all term that was used by Europeans to try to understand the complexity that they were met with in their first interactions with Indian society. Now, of course, Indian society has its own indigenous social groupings and ways of identifying, but caste became this catch-all um, where it conflated a variety of uh, ways in which people identified by religion, by clan, uh, by traditional occupation, uh, by clan. Uh, you know, these were groups that might have had shared oral histories, shared traditions. And um, just like any sort of identity, it wasn't something that was, uh, you know, singular in the sense that one person or one group has only one identity. Uh, people and human societies have always been complex, whether it's India or any other civilization. Um, today, um, academic scholars still don't agree on what caste is. However, there is a predominant stereotype of what caste is, and that is a simplistic pyramid that has four to five classes with priests on the top, um, in which it, Indian society is reduced to a hierarchy in which the priests kind of lord over the rest of society. Um, Indian society has never been organized in this manner, um, nor um, is it today. Um, yet this is probably one of the most entrenched stereotypes about Indian society. Now, caste is a reality in the sense that it is today what's called a legal fiction or an administrative category under Indian law. What that means is that there are certain groups that, uh, you know, originally these groups were identified through census exercises starting all the way back in the late 1800s that continued through the 1930s under British administration where different communities were categorized and uh, put into what are called schedules. Now, some of these uh, schedules, uh, I outlined classes that were identified as being uh, depressed classes. Those might have been economically or socially disadvantaged. And so today, there are essentially four categories. Uh, there are scheduled castes, scheduled tribes, other backward classes, and if you are not designated in any one of those three, other backward classes is actually a little bit more of a recent 
um, or a newer category in the sense that it came about in the 1980s, I believe. However, if you don't have a legal uh, administrative designation of scheduled caste, uh, other backward class, or scheduled tribe, then you are default general category. The thing about these administrative categories, however, is that there's no checklist. Um, there wasn't one in the late 1800s or the mid-1930s where you had to meet a certain number of uh, checkmark boxes that would then say, okay, this is why it's justified to put you here. Um, and so that's why even today the category is kind of complicated because you've essentially put a wide variety of different communities under one category, but those communities may not share much in common with one another. So that is kind of what caste is. Now you asked me also about Jati and Varna. So Jati is probably one of the primary social um, markers or social groupings that were found in India that is an indigenous category. But this idea even about Jati, Jati is probably the closest thing um, that comes to some of the definitions that we see about caste being endogamous, uh, meaning groups that only marry within each other um, that are based on trade. However, not all Jatis are trade-based. Um, and even when a Jati is, say, trade or occupation-based, not everyone within that Jati engages in that particular trade, certainly not today. It may have back in medieval times or, or even later, like it has in any other society where trades were passed down from father to son in most traditional patriarchal societies. Um, and then lastly, Varna is uh, a concept of basically archetypes or psychological personalities where uh, you find descriptions of four different types of people. And these are based on your natural tendencies and your skills so that some have a greater aptitude towards educating or studying the scriptures or religious life. Uh, some might have more propensity for governance or rulemaking. Others might have more propensity towards trade. And lastly, others might have a greater skill set towards service or working with their hands. All of these are four personality types that some of the sacred texts within Hinduism say form the basis of a well-functioning society where you look at what is the best way in which you can serve a greater good um, with your skill set, with your inclinations, and then work in society on that basis. Wow, that, that was an amazing answer. Honestly, I think that gives a very... <laughs> different perspective than, you know, what is sort of the mainstream, I guess, I guess uh, commentary on what is caste, Jyoti Varna. So I think mm -hmm. these are all almost completely different in many ways. I think uh, from an Indian perspective, Jyoti and Varna is what sort of, uh, that is more indigenous and that caste is more of like a super imposition based on what you're saying, if, if, that, exactly. if I'm correct. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And the other thing is that, you know, for, starting from sixth grade, um, caste is something that is equated with Hinduism. Uh, but even if we were to say that Jati is caste, and there's scholarship out there that says that Jati cannot exactly fit what caste is supposed to be, because uh, the conception of caste 
presupposes a pan-Indian social reality that's the same whether you're in Gujarat, um, to whether you're in Andhra Pradesh or somewhere like Odisha or wherever else. Um, and that's not um, how Indian society and all these regional differences are, uh, but it's across all religious traditions. Different social identities um, are across different religious traditions so that you might have certain trade-based uh, communities that are Muslim, but then some are Hindu, some might be Jain, some might be Buddhist. So again, this kind of entrenched stereotype of a pyramid uh, that is equated with Hinduism is, as I've said, one of the most entrenched stereotypes um, that plagues a better understanding, more accurate understanding of Hinduism. Okay, thank you very much for that answer. So now, now that we have a good understanding of that, let's get into what this bill actually is. So mm -hmm. can you give us a little bit of a timeline of all the events that led up to how this bill actually uh, happened to be passed and um, also the different groups that were involved, the, the groups that were for it, the groups that were against it? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, this, this happened in literally record time. Uh, lawmaking needs to be a far more thoughtful, evidence-based process. But it was just in a matter of maybe three or four weeks that uh, Council Member Shama Savant, uh, you know, announced her proposal to add caste to all the ordinances um, under, you know, Seattle City Law. And this was going to add caste as a protected category to the city's non-discrimination policies. Um, before I get into, you know, who was supporting, who was not, let's just take a step back to talk about what are non-discrimination policies. So, um, you know, Title VII of the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964 is the federal version of non-discrimination law. And what it sought to do was to end uh, work, well, the, the entire act has uh, a variety of titles. Each one of these titles tries to address discrimination in different arenas. So Title VII speaks to non-discrimination uh, or protecting against discrimination in the workplace. So discrimination on the basis of race, national origin, uh, religion, and gender are all, these are all protected classes so that when you're in the workplace, uh, in decisions that are related to hiring, firing, or even having kind of a, a workplace that is conducive to your ability to work in an environment that is, has psychological safety and physical safety, um, you must be treated with dignity, with mutual respect, and your, you know, these hiring decisions or firing decisions or even the environment in which you're working in, cannot be made hostile um, on the basis of these protected classes. So that's what non-discrimination policies do, is that they ensure that the workplace is safe for everyone, regardless of their background on these bases. Now, <clears throat> the power of these policies is that these classes are broad. Um, they don't presuppose a particular perpetrator and a particular victim. What I mean by that is that there's not a presumption that only um, men can discriminate when it comes to sex discrimination or that only um, Caucasian whites um, will discriminate against people of color. 
race or gender are categories that are neutral so that uh, arguably a man working in say an all-female office where if the female co-workers are harassing him making uh, comments about his looks or um, you know holding opportunities from him because he's male or making disparaging remarks to a point that it rises to the level of a sustained um, hostile environment well that man has protection under title seven similarly um, these categories are also broad enough to have evolved as the growing diversity of the united states um, has has changed so that you know it can also accommodate intra-community tensions so a category like race if there is say uh, discrimination between um, uh, someone, maybe, you know, uh, someone who is Latino or something, and it's there's some sort of tension between light skin and dark skin within that community. Well, that c is protected, even though it's not necessarily laid out specifically. That's the beauty of these kind of broad categories. And so caste has now been added to to these categories. But the key difference between caste and all of these other categories is that caste is very specific, whether you look at the language of the proposal, whether you listen to all the testimony of the champions of this policy, everything singled out and targeted South Asians. So you're essentially having to violate the very discrimination, non-discrimination policies that you're trying to amend, because now you're discriminating against a group of people on the basis of their national origin or their ethnicity in order to justify this amendment. Now, who was behind these bills? Um, you know, there's a number of, uh, you know, they, they self-define as Ambedkarite groups. Um, there's a group called Equality Labs. Those have been the champions of, of these types of policies. And they have yet to address the, the, the legal questions around this. You know, they are, uh, you know, presenting a view of this, of one, of widespread discrimination. And the fact is that the evidence doesn't bear, uh, bear that, uh, that claim that they make. In fact, uh, the evidence, the only reliable evidence that's out there is a survey by Carnegie Endowment um, for Peace that shows us that actually caste-based discrimination is exceedingly rare. The second thing we have to remember is that we're talking about 1.5% of the entire population. So we are a micro minority um, by every definition of the word. And, uh, and the fact is that existing policies can protect against caste-based discrimination. Caste-based discrimination is wrong. You know, the Hindu tradition tells us that every individual is inherently divine and uh, merits and puts an obligation on us to treat everyone um, with dignity and mutual respect. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, this idea uh, or, you know, the framing that somehow those who oppose um, the policies uh, are doing so because um, either they're denying the existence of discrimination or they're justifying it is simply simply not true. So rather than testing existing policies, they've gone ahead to push a policy that specifically targets 
South Asians. And the fact is that this is actually going to harm all South Asians, regardless of their caste background. Um, these activists believe that they, their target of these are going to be so-called upper castes, which, you know, that's a whole different conversation um, in and of itself in terms of what that means in an American context. But this policy is going to harm all South Asians, bottom line, regardless of whether they are, um, you know, scheduled caste from scheduled caste backgrounds from India or not. Um, it's also going to harm future generations of uh, Indian Americans. I myself was born and raised in this country. My kids are now two generations out. And so once something becomes a law, it's there to affect people for generations. So th uh, thank you for giving a background on how uh, this, everything behind this actual bill. And from what, what you said, it does seem like they're, the laws that exist do already, they should be broad enough to protect if there is any caste discrimination. And the uh, the, op the problem uh, basically is that it's never been tested. So if there was a caste, of, uh, some case of caste discrimination, they didn't test this law. They just sort of went ahead to um, sort of pass this law. Exactly. That, that's the, okay. Exactly. So it's in the absence of any sort of credible evidence of caste-based discrimination, being a widespread problem in the United States. I would say that one case of caste-based discrimination is one too many. Yeah. However, they haven't even tested the existing laws. Um, so even when you're not looking, say, look beyond the city of Seattle to some of the colleges um, that have also added caste um, to their non-discrimination policies, administrators have admitted that they have never received a complaint. Um, and then uh, there are some of the uh, champions of these policies who say, well, stu we've heard of students who or, you know, tech workers who have faced discrimination, but they haven't filed their complaint because caste was not um, listed specifically. Mm -hmm. That's either a failing of their HR departments to um, not take in any sort of complaints or I'd have to question the very basis of whether there was something that rose to the level of harassment or discrimination that has kept them from filing the complaint. Because some of the examples that we've heard um, do not rise to the level of the types of discrimination that we know can occur in the workplace. So actually, that actually leads me to my next question, which is, uh, what is the, uh, the claims for the people who are for the bill? What is their... Uh, what is it based on? What is the research that they're sort of basing their uh, that need for this bill? Well, so they, you know, all of this hinges on one survey uh, conducted by an activist organization called the Equality Labs. And this group, one, conducted a survey that did not capture um, the diversity of the Indian American or South Asian community. Um, we know that they... Uh, throughout the responses of those who did not identify by a caste. Mm -hmm. And so there's real deep problems of sample bias, confirmation bias, and it truly not being a representative survey um, where, uh, where you throw out responses of people who have not identified by caste, mm -hmm. you're going to now concentrate those people who are very caste conscious. And so your results are going to automatically be skewed. Um, there was at least one newsletter in which uh, respondents were encouraged to 
put in a uh, zip code um, for the San Francisco Bay Area um, if they lived outside the area. Uh, so did this invite responses from people outside of the United States? We don't know. Um, and so there were a number of other ways in which data was manipulated. The fact is also that this organization that conducted the survey is now also offering for a price their uh, trainings, their DEI type trainings on CAST. So there's a serious conflict of interest here where you present something, you present manipulated and falsified data to create the illusion of a problem, and then you provide fee-based services to, or you shape policies to so, you know, supposedly address this problem, and then you profit off of your training services because no one is going to be qualified uh, to be able to administer these policies. Wow. So that, that's an obvious conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. uh, so, I mean, um, what else I, I also wanted to uh, touch on is historically for other bills that are similar to this, do they actually show more evidence for why there is a need to pass this anti-discrimination law or like, let's say something, um, in the past, whether, whether there was hate crimes towards a certain group compared to this, like, so in the past, did they actually show evidence to actually say, yeah, there's a need to pass this law? So was it kind of an unprecedented way in which they did, they passed this law? Absolutely. Look, okay. so, you know, the United States has, has a ugly history of racism and it's mm -hmm. a complicated one, but it's also a history of always striving to do better. Um, we're certainly not perfect in this regard, um, but we're trying to work towards the promise that's held in the U.S. Constitution of everyone being equal under the laws. And um, and so in that sense, when you look at something like the Civil Rights Act, it's happened in the context of centuries of, uh, you know, slavery in this country right, and right. the unequal treatment of different immigrant groups. I mean, you had uh, an act called the Asian Exclusion Act that directly impacted people of Indian origin from being able to immigrate to this country freely while Europeans could. So this country does have a um, checkered past when it comes to the treatment of communities of color. But we also have laws in place that have tried to remedy past wrongs. When you look at caste, you don't have that kind of history. Uh, you have a relatively new immigrant community that's, you know, been here in larger numbers only for, you know, since the 1960s after that Asian Exclusion Act was lifted. Um, you also have data that shows that, um, you know, over half of people of Indian origin don't identify by a caste group. And then within the group that does identify, only 34% of US born Hindus um, or people of Indian origin um, identified by caste. So anecdotally or statistically, we know that caste identities become less and less with each subsequent generation. The other point is that just because someone identifies um, with a caste group doesn't necessarily mean that they're discriminating on the basis of caste. So I, I think that we have to also be careful with looking at different types of statistics um, in before kind of generalizing um, anything about Indian Americans. Um, the fact is that 
Indian Americans, like any other ethnic group, have different ways of identifying, whether it's by religion, whether it's by language, um, whether it is by jati or whatever else. Um, and, you know, more studies can be done, ethnographic studies about the Indian American community, but they have to be done in a manner that's objective. When we're talking about discrimination, however, we have to rely on time-tested legal principles such as generally applicable broad categories mm-hmm. that we should should continue to evolve as um, America becomes more diverse. So, for instance, religion, um, you know, if there are challenges um, between, say, a, a Sunni Muslim and an Ahmadi Muslim, well, we don't need a separate category to address that. You address it under religion. Um, if you have, uh, you know, some sort of discrimination occurring, say, between um, people of Mexican origin, where these ideas of um, having more Spanish blood um, is more superior to, um, you know, having more indigenous blood or, you know, whatever the intra-community hierarchies or notions or perceptions of privilege are, we need to find ways to use our existing uh, categories to accommodate all these types of differences to ensure that every single person has a safe place to work, a safe place to live, so that they aren't discriminated against, um, whether it's public accommodations or lending or renting or wherever else not, um, discrimination is barred. So I, I, you actually mentioned something interesting where just because someone identifies with a certain caste or category doesn't necessarily mean they're being discriminated against. And I actually wanted to know, um, were there any, uh, can you give some insight on some of the uh, voices that were, maybe they identify as uh, supposed uh, lower caste or Dalit, and they had voiced their opinion um, against the bill, against yeah, the ordinance. And absolutely. were they actually, were their voices silenced or did they, did they, or <laughs> You know, how, how exactly that, did that go down? Yeah, that that's a great question. No, absolutely. Amongst the coalitions that we've been working with um, to oppose these policies, whether it's in Seattle, whether it's at the Cal State University um, mm-hmm. system that also similarly added caste to its non-discrimination policy, there have been um, Dalits and Bojans who have come forward to say, we see these proposals as dangerous. We see them as impacting all of us. We are integrated into our broader South Asian communities where, um, you know, these stories of uh, caste discrimination are not our stories. And we recognize the fact that this is going to target all South Asians. It's going to essentially um, put a suspicion on all people of Indian origin. Either we're going to be seen as a nuisance or a liability. And what's shocking is that whether it was council member Savant or others, as soon as they were questioned about, well, it seems that there's some Dalits or some Bojans who are opposing this policy, she patronizingly says, well, they don't know what's good for them. Well, so on the one hand, she wants to, you know, apologize about her privilege and say she's a so-called upper caste Hindu um, or upper caste Indian, but then patronize and deny agency to Dalits who disagree with her. That, to me, doesn't necessarily indicate that she actually cares about Dalits and Bojans who might be facing discrimination, but this is just a a political ploy for her. So, okay. Now, 
so that's actually what my the next question is for me is so we've established there's not really too much of a history of caste-based discrimination among hindu americans um we established there's a lot of bias in the methodology where mm-hmm. there's kind of confirmation bias in how they wanted to gather the data so basically what is the real reason for this bill what do you think the motivation <laughs> is behind it like what are they trying to do well um you know a, a lot of it is i think anti-hindu hatred uh you know some of the activists have been on record demonizing not just hindus but hindu traditions uh hindu traditions like holi or diwali or practices that you know uh practices that not all hindus engage in but things like vegetarianism um are demonized and are portrayed as um indicators of caste based discrimination um for folks like council member uh Kshama Sawant i think it's about politics in india um you know when she after passing after having her proposal passed in the city of seattle um the toronto school district board um was uh you know looking at a similar policy and she tweeted out about how it was time to defeat the hindu right what does the hindu right have to do with ordinary hindu americans in the united states and in in toronto um with with these policies that are now going to single out and target an ethnic minority so for her i think it's um you know probably uh both anti indian and anti hindu hatred um and her issues or whatever that she has with politics in india Okay. So now so now uh, a lot of people may say in response to that, well, it's not really targeting Hindus specifically because they're using the term South Asian. Mm-hmm. Right? So what would you be your response to that? My response to that would be, well, let's go to every 6th grade textbook in the state of California or probably the state of Washington or Toronto and see what one of the first bullet points are about what they teach about Hinduism. Um even even if we broaden out and say okay it's not going to single out just Hindus. The fact is that it is going to single out and target all South Asians regardless of whether they are Muslim, Buddhist, Jain, Hindu or Sikh, regardless of whether they are from a general category or a scheduled caste category or a OBC category in India, um as long as you are brown you will now be suspected of being inherently bigoted because that is the narrative that has underlied um all of these caste proposals and the testimony that's been um given by champions of this divisive uh policy so now that brings me to my next point which is they also uh i think later on they added other groups uh, including certain african groups and certain east asian groups so what do you think the reason is behind that i think that was uh one just an indication of how little um you know uh, council member Savant and you know the other council member who helped her in this amendment know about the law and how the law works which is kind of scary because they are lawmakers uh, you would think that they should know the basics um regardless of what local laws you can enhance um 
you know, the guarantees that are contained in uh, the U.S. Constitution or federal non-discrimination laws, but you can't violate them uh, in creating local laws. And um, that's exactly what they've done. So this amendment, you know, after we raised um, our concerns about the singling out and targeting of South Asians, um, an ethnic minority group on the basis of their ethnicity. So like I said earlier, um, actually violating the law or the policies that they're trying to amend with the amendment that that's actually violating um, violating the policies. Um, they maybe made what is clearly a failed attempt to say, oh, we're not just targeting South Asians. We're going to go ahead and target some Southeast Asians, specifically Japanese or some African communities like Nigerians, Sudanese and Somali. They also have a caste system. So now you have a policy where not just South Asians, but Japanese, um, Sudanese, Somali and Nigerian. And I think they might have even added Middle East uh, people from the Middle East are singled out and targeted um, for essentially ethnic and or racial profiling. And um Guess what? To the exclusion of white Caucasians. So um, <laughs> if anything, they've actually worsened um, the targeting rather than improving it. Sure, they're not singling out one group now. They're singling out five. But it's still on the basis of their national origin, which violates the very policy they're trying to amend or they, that right. they did amend. Yeah, that's every continent except Europe, right? Yeah, <laughs> <Pretty> exactly. <mature. laughs> Interesting. Uh, so now, uh, let's say uh, they want to actually implement these, uh, um, you know, this law, right? How are they going to go about identifying what somebody's caste is? We've already kind of covered how complicated these categories are. Mm -hmm. So, like, how, how will you determine what caste somebody comes from? Or what if someone identifies as something, you know, it's just, I, I don't understand. How will they actually implement this bill? Yeah, that that's a good question, and time will tell. I don't see how they will be able to implement a discriminatory category um, in a non-discriminatory process. Had they stuck with the existing classes like national origin, there are, and national origin, by the way, I should uh, explain to, to your listeners or to your viewers, that national origin is not just where you came from um, as an immigrant. Because I'm not an immigrant, right? I'm an American, but my parents were immigrants. What national origin also entails is ancestry, um, ethnicity, descent, um, mm. background, culture, language, accent. All of these things are contained in national origin in the way that race might cover things like hair texture, skin color. Um, so... Uh, these categories are not just like national origin and that's all it's going to cover. So if you're second or third generation Indian American, you're host and you're not covered by um, that category. That's not how these categories work. The courts have, again, evolved each one of these and they have far more expansive um, application. So the fact is that national origin or, or race or any of these other categories have processes in which an HR manager can investigate whatever, uh, you know, occurrences have, have happened in a department or wherever else they can investigate complaints in a non-discriminatory manner. So they're asking general questions um, that they would ask anyone. The problem with caste is one, 
the predominant understanding of it is inaccurate and rooted in a false and negative stereotype. But second, because now it's a standalone category, the impulse is going to be, well, we have to treat this differently. What kind of questions are we going to ask? So if someone of, you know, say Chinese descent files a complaint, they're just going to go to national origin, right? They're not going to think like automatically, oh, this must be caste. And then they'll ask, are they going to require all people of Indian origin to identify by a caste? What happens if you don't identify by a caste? What happens if your parents are inter-ethnic communities so that you're multiracial? I don't think any of these implementation questions, real serious challenges have been explored. And I think that not only does the category in and of itself deny equal protection under the law, but I think the implementation is going to be equally, if not more problematic, because there are going to be these presumptions about people of Indian origin, just the very existence of the category now that is equated with South Asians and Indians sends a message. It kind of institutionalizes implicit bias against this one particular group, which is treated differently than any other group, so that no group has a category that just applies to them, but South Asians do, because what's the immediate natural thought that comes to mind? Oh, well, because they probably, there's probably some sort of proof, which there isn't, that they were sitting there discriminating against one another. They're so unruly. We need to police them. We have to treat them differently than any other group. Well, guess what that is? That's called discrimination. Wow. I think you also mentioned how it's like with these laws, usually in American law, there's no assumption of who the guilty person is, right? Like you don't assume that it's a white person that's discriminating against a black person, right? So in this case, it's like they're assuming, oh, quote unquote upper caste quote unquote sound south asians in general that that is that is i would say that that's actually um that is how it has been pushed uh by the proponents of these policies to say oh this is going to protect oppressed castes um from so-called upper caste but the fact is that even though caste is not a facially neutral category it internally as a category, um, arguably someone who is, say, uh, from a Brahmin background could file a claim uh, against, I mean, if you go back and listen to all the testimony, there's so much demonization of, of specifically Brahmins. I mean, they do talk a lot about upper castes and oppressive castes and oppressor castes and things like that. But there's a particular hatred um, for Brahmins. So, um, and, you know, I have heard from tech workers where, you know, after the the first and only case that was filed on the basis of caste um, back in June of 2020, I believe, um, and that's the Cisco case was filed. Uh, a lot of tech workers, um, you know, there were Slack channels and things like that that were started in their companies where, oh, let's discuss caste. And there was so much vitriol coming from activist types against Hindus specifically and so-called upper castes that, um, you know, if that rose to a level of toxicity, 
where it was impacting the ability of someone from one of those communities to work, arguably they can file a claim. Um, now, they don't need the category of caste to file it. There's national origin, which is what we've argued. Um, and so uh, no individual on the basis of their ancestry um, should have to face um, a toxic environment. And a lot of these activists do do that. I, I don't see uh, people who are opposing these policies demonizing anyone on the basis of their ancestral background. But I do see a lot of the champions of these policies demonizing particular groups. And so if they were in an employer-employee situation, um, they may be violating the very policies that they're trying to champion. I see what you're saying. So actually, uh, one thing I want to say is um, I think for everyday Hindus who are not like, because there's so much legal jargon involved in talking about mm -hmm. this, how do we sort of voice our side of the thing like why like when people ask because on surface level the bill looks like you know it's anti-discrimination so right. it's already an uphill battle for us when we say that you know we're against it how do we talk about it in in ways that are kind of simple yeah i i think that you're <laughs> you're you're hitting a challenge that we've seen in the community and that's why the hindu american foundation has started providing um, a, a program, a Dharma ambassadors program that's focused specifically on caste because first, we ourselves don't know our history. Um, we have essentially internalized the pyramid stereotype. And so it's hard to look at, you know, on the one hand, you know your own experience of the diversity and the complexity of the communities that you reside in, the, one, the communities that you socialize in, the communities that your parents or grandparents came from. You know those complexities. However, when you have a framework um, that has become so entrenched and is so prolific, it's difficult to not see the reality outside of that lens. And um, and so we this Dharma Ambassadors program um, that we have started gives people kind of an overview of the history of caste as a category. It also talks about some of the indigenous ways in which Indian society self-organized, whether it was Jati, whether it was Kul or Sampraday or you know, a number of other indigenous groups that again, caste kind of conflates into one, but more importantly, how to talk about this very complex topic in simple ways, because you're right, um, on paper or when you first hear about it, it's like, wait, well, why would you oppose protecting people against discrimination? And I think the simple thing to say is that this is not whether we need to ensure that no one is discriminated against on the basis of caste. It's how we go about doing it. We cannot discriminate against an entire community to solve a supposed problem of discrimination. You have to find ways to do it in a manner that's non-discriminatory. And I think that's the crux of the issue. Uh, thank you. I think that's a wonderful way for anyone to sort of frame the argument. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, so uh, do you have any closing remarks you want to say? Uh, any last message for American Hindus? Uh, any way they could support your work? I, you know, I would encourage people to visit uh, www.hinduamerican.org. We do have a section on caste um, if you're interested. It's um, if you just 
search term cast, or if you do go to hinduamerican.org front slash all about cast, um, you will come upon a variety of sources um, that can be a starting point. It is not an ending point, but a starting point. And I encourage people to follow the links, read the academic articles so that you can get an idea that uh, about the complexity of the issue, but also some of the unanswered questions uh, because you have this prevalent um, way of talking about Indian society that has been the way people have talked about Indian society for over 200 years, at least in kind of popular media. Uh, and um, and so it's important to read some of the academic papers. Um, we have picked ones that are as accessible as academic papers can be. Uh, but that should be a starting point, and I would encourage people to um, register for the Dharma Ambassadors Program so that they can learn more and get comfortable with the issues, um, and not comfortable, but get um, uh, get well versed on the issues to understand how it can impact your day to day. You know, bottom line is is that if you have a category that singles out and targets South Asians over time because South Asians will be seen as kind of this legal morass or a liability. If it comes to hiring a South Asian versus hiring someone else as an administrator, you're going to go with something that decreases your cost, decreases your liability. Don't hire the South Asian. So guess what? All those success stories that we know about of people who have come from socially and economically marginalized communities in India and succeeded and achieved the American dream here, they too are going to be adversely impacted by these policies. So come to HAF and um, and learn more about these issues because they will affect you. Thank you so much for your time, Suhagji. I really appreciate the work that you do. And uh, to the audience, please like, share, subscribe, and uh, please visit uh, HAF and, uh, and support the work that they do. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Please remember to subscribe to us and switch on the notifications for this channel. For our other social media links, more content and to support our work, please visit CITTI.net. Dhanavad. Namaskar.